Before I start, can I say the following? It was six years today since I came to this district and preached my first sermon. Now, that's not to boost my ego, by the way, sorry. Or not, or for anybody else who is on the executive committee to say it's time for a move. <laughs> Dominic. <laughs> I have preached many sermons since then, which I would like to see as a vital part of my ministry to you as a church. Um, and I must say, the background to my sermon preparation is this. There's a point to this, okay? The background to my sermon preparation is this. In other words, when I construct a sermon, just to give you a little background, when I construct a sermon, it's two things. Sometimes it's my own conviction, right? So in other words, as I study the Bible, as I read the Bible, I've, I'm, I get convicted of something and, 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 and I find something that gives me courage or I discover something that answers my questions that I have and, 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 and it's often when I think, oh, maybe, some, maybe members in my church are struggling with the same things and it's good to share with you. And so based on the experience, the encouragement and, and often admonishment I receive, I feel the need to share with you, to you be encouraged and perhaps it answers the question, like I said, you may have too. And so this is some background, the sermons that I, that I share with you. The second thing is, the background to it is, is that there's the personal conviction about what I believe God is saying, what the church needs at the time, or perhaps what someone needs at the time, and therefore, you know, with a study, and, and God is saying, look, hey, that's maybe what the church needs. And often, I come to the end of the week, if I prepare a sermon, I come to the end of the week, and I just cannot grasp the one sermon that I've been working on, and then it just changes automatically, and, and sometimes what God is. And sometimes people come back to me and say they appreciate it, or that they haven't seen something that way before, or they understand something better. But not always. And I wonder, not because it's like I said, to boost my ego this morning, but I'm saying this and wondering whether I'm getting through with a message that I convey sometimes, or whether it is actually encouraging you. If I think it's encouraging me, whether it is encouraging you, whether perhaps it's confusing you, whether the message answers your question, perhaps maybe you've had, or whether the message is challenging you, or God forbid, whether I'm actually totally missing the mark, confused you more, or just gone over your heads. But this is the reason why I'm doing this. And, and perhaps what I'm asking you this morning is, I wonder whether you could let me know personally, or by text, or by Facebook Messenger, or WhatsApp, whether you're encouraged, whether it's hitting, whether you're confused, whether I need more explanation. In other words, let's discuss a little bit more what you hear from the pulpit and make sure the ministry from up here not only me, but even other preachers are worth its salt. I must be careful. Because please don't make this feedback a platform or an opportunity to push any agenda of what you may want to hear, but be broad-minded in that sense. 
It is therefore in this context, it's one of those issues where I struggled with something or where I studied and I came up with, you know, looked at two passages in the book of Job and it reminds me and, and it, it helped me to ask a particular question. And in this context that I entitled today's sermon, Am I Wicked? Are you wicked? That's today's sermon's title. Are you wicked? Just because we are sinners, can we be classed as wicked? Now Job chapter 20 and 21, I'll compare the two in a minute, but it deals with this question about wicked. Wicked is a word, but being wicked is a condition. And the wicked is a real entity, which is a big deal for God. The wicked is a big deal for God, and it's a real entity, and God God says he doesn't like the wicked. He has challenges with those who are wicked. And the Bible is loaded with the term wicked and wickedness and, and alludes to the fact that if you believe in the return of Jesus Christ, who is planning to bring an end to sin and restore the earth to its former glory and beyond, then it's the camp of the wicked we do not want to be in. Because the Bible indicates that it is the wicked who would also be destroyed. And so if you believe in the coming of Jesus, and we know that Jesus is going to bring an end to sin and restore the earth to its former glory and beyond, then it's, then it's the camp of the wicked that I don't want to be in. So my question, who are the wicked? When does anyone become wicked? What is the true identity of the wicked? And more importantly, when does anyone class themselves or as wicked or is it up to God? I want to know. Because I want to be in God's camp. I want to know what my identity is now. In other words, why is this important? Why am I asking the question? Why is this important? Because if you like me, I want to work out my salvation, right? We all do. We want to know when we are saved. And our salvation depends on it, what the determinant of the identity of what the wicked is. I don't want to put myself in that category if I don't need to. I don't want to make the mistake of placing someone else, whoever he is, in that category either. So it's important from my perspective, for me, and maybe it's important for you. But now, what's the definition? Definitions of wicked. The biblical definition of wicked is to be ungodly, to be guilty, to be intent on continuing with wrongdoing. Now, how many of you can put up your hands that say we, we're continually doing wrong? <laughs> well, I won't, I won't embarrass you, but I'll do it anyway. And I'm sure you will put up your, your hand as well. The Oxford Dictionary for Wicked says, evil, morally wrong, ungodly, unholy, irreligious. Or oh, here's the millennial or general generation Z definition. That for something to be wicked is to have it to be excellent, to be great, to be enjoyable. You may say, man, that meal, that cake or that camp was wicked. Right? 
He was wicked, man. Well, that's that's how we as 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 you know as uh, Generation X is you know will say. But but you use the wicked. But we're not going to use that definition today. The millennial or Generation Z wicked that wicked. We want to talk about the wicked, the biblical type. So, so so here goes. Now where do I get this from? Why am I so interested in this particular the context about but what is wicked and what is the identity of the wicked. And so let me go to Job, the novel of Job. Job's story in his novel. Why am I so interested? Job 20 and 21 are the two chapters. You want to you glance through that as I talk? Be my guest. But Job, Job chapter 20 and 21. This, by this time, by Job chapter 20, this time Job is way into his demise, right? Now he's lost his family, he's lost his riches, He's lost his health. He's sitting there on that ash heap with boils all over his place. And he's just in a mess. Now, this time, he's in ill. He's in pain, close to death. He had his share of misery multiple times over. But he also had his share of helpful friends. Right? Zophar, Eliphaz, Bolton. They had helpful friends. At least those who are trying to be helpful. They, they think Job had caused this by his own life. By the way, they, they think Job caused this by his own life. They think Job and all the fronts he put up by sacrificing daily, praying for his children, being upright, all is a big hypocritical act. They know that he's hiding some sin. Otherwise, he would not have faced that dilemma. That's what they keep telling him. They said, Job, there's something in you that is not right. That is why you are struggling through it. That is why you are suffering. That is why you are going through this. Because there's something happening in you. I mean, look at them. These three friends, they look okay. They are good. They are not facing those things. They must be righteous then and in good stead with God, right? But not Job. Job, you have done something and you're hiding something. That is why you are facing all these situations. But, but, but here comes verse chapter 20. And Zophar, Zophar, his so-called friend, gives his most damning verdict. Zophar, in chapter 20, classes Job in the category of the wicked. Now here's the thing. And this is my dilemma in terms of where's the wicked. So he classes Job in the category of the wicked. Therefore calling him evil, immorally wrong, irreligious, and intent on doing wrong. Chapter 20, Zophar calls him hypocrite, haughty, with evil sweet in his mouth, evil defrauding businessmen, oppressing and forsaking the poor, violently seizing a house he hadn't built, self-sufficient and self-righteous, and he causes him gluttonous, and then urges him to repent of his wickedness and prosper, because Job is receiving what he deserves. Verse 29, he writes, This is the portion from God for a wicked man, the heritage appointed to him by God. Now we know the context of Job, right? Job is anything but wicked. 
We know the story. We look from a different perspective. We know the, the discussion that happened in heaven between Satan and God. We know what Job's story really is. But these guys are seeing Job and now he does the worst thing and, he's, and, 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 and vehemently and, 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 and with you know, audacity he calls Job wicked. You are classed as the wicked. Unless the author of, of Job's novel is biased. Or he's a spin doctor and he's hiding some of the evil traits that Job has. Unless he's doing something, the author. But we know, Job acknowledges that he's a sinner. Of course, anyone who lives on earth is. Because of the consequences of the fall of, of, of Genesis. However, Job is nowhere what Zophar is making him out to be. At least not from the author's perspective. And perhaps Zophar is wrong. And so here's my challenge. What is the identity of the... Because if he calls Job wicked from what he says, man, this is supposed to be his friends. They, they, they know him. His friends. I mean, you, you, our friends. We know our, our friends, right? Our friends are supposed to know us. Our friends are supposed to know what, what, what we're hiding. Or, or our friends are supposed to view things in a perspective and know that things are wrong. But, but these guys, they have the audacity to say, Job, 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 whatever is happening in your life is because you are wicked. You are classed in the context of the wicked. So what's the identity? If so, what is the true identity of the wicked? After a short introduction, Job gives a simple, a very, really simplistic answer. And, and I just want to class that a little bit. It's the, it's, it's the passage that I read this morning. Job says, here's the true identity of the wicked. He says, verse 14 and 15, he says, The wicked say to God, depart from us, for we do not desire the knowledge of your ways. They also say, who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we have if we pray to him? Now Job turns the thing around and he says, hold on, hold on, excuse me. I'm the one who acknowledges God. I'm the one who keeps talking to God. I'm the one who's trying to care. You cannot class me because the wicked, he says, they say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. They say to God, we do not accept his way. They say to God, we do not accept you as God or your existence. They say to God, we do not acknowledge your providence, your place in our lives or in this world. We're in this universe. In other words, if anyone is going to be called wicked, it means he falls in that category, Job says. So what am I saying? Simplistically, Job says, listen, anyone who's called wicked is actually the one who says, listen, I don't want God in my life. Anyone who classes wicked says, listen, I don't want to even acknowledge God as, as the providential person in, in the universe. And anyone who says, you know, if we're going to be class, I don't I do not accept God's existence. And Job is saying, but hold on, I can't be wicked because I'm accepting God and I've never, the Bible says, has said a wrong word against God. So Job says specific. And when I look at Job's simplistic answer, it makes it difficult to judge someone else from where we stand. No matter where they live, their religion, their ethnic background, or the church they go to, if Job is correct, it's difficult to make that acknowledgement 
to anybody in our circle of friends or anybody in this universe to say, listen, that guy, the way I see him, just because he belongs to the Roman Catholic Church, therefore he is wicked. However, it doesn't make it difficult when we look at ourselves. Does it? Because where we ourselves stand in the scheme of things, in other words, God is the one who judges our hearts and knows the identity of a wicked person. Job responds in this vein when he answers them in verse 34 of chapter 1. He says, how then can you comfort me with your empty words since falsehood remains in your answers? Job correct. Job saying that being wicked is the last never-ending path one has chosen that slowly remove our lives from God. Is Job correct when he says when we place our confidence in our own self-righteous salvation and no more see the need and value of God's ways? Job correct when he says, and it's even possible, to be like that while we claim to be doing the work of God, like the Pharisees, we have moved ourselves so far from God. Job correct when he says that wicked is being arrogant enough to justify the actions and choices being made that move us away from God. Is Job perhaps giving me a, a concept of, of what wickedness is? And, and is it true, perhaps, what Job says, that I'm a sinner? I do wrong things. But being sinful does not mean I am named under the wicked. Because it means I live under the banner and canopy of God. Perhaps Hebrews 8 is correct when it says there is no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. And that the wicked, any person, even the wicked has access to grace to help them in a time of need. And that every person has God waiting for them to welcome them. And that God is gracious. God is merciful. God is kind. And that perhaps in a world where, where so many things are calling our attention, so many things that confuses us, so many things that are difficult to grasp, that our answer is, Salem White puts it plainly in, in Steps to Christ, that the answer is to be in the arms of God. Now this doesn't mean that we have to be complacent. And take for granted. The grace of God. And think. Ha, I'll never be wicked because I come to church. Or I'll be okay because I do all the right things. No, 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 no. Because Jesus said. If you understand Revelation 3. Revelation 3 correctly. Then you can understand that the Laodicean church is identified from both ways. One, 
is the both both you know Laodicea and church says I don't need anything I don't I can see I am not naked I am okay being on my own and I am the one for my salvation I don't need God I am self sufficient that Revelation 3 puts us in the context of actually those who are far away from God, who doesn't want to be God, but it actually also you can be far away from God right within the realms of God because we depend in our self-sufficiency and our self-contained self-righteousness in the end as well. Or perhaps that we cannot be complacent that as long as we follow God, we can never fall into the category of being wicked. In the end, Revelation tells us there will be two categories. Righteousness, the righteous, and the wicked. But those righteous are, as Jesus, John puts it nicely in John chapter Revelation 4, Revelation 7, Revelation 14. What makes the righteous righteous is the ones that washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Now it doesn't say it's the ones, it's the ones that are have 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 made themselves clean, or by cleaning, you know, by, by clean in its own right. It says the righteous or the unwicked are the ones who washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and continue to wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And just like Amos and others speaks to Israel today. And I speak to Israel today. Because we are the ones that are in the church that is God's remnant. We are the ones that we believe have the truth. But it's we who can sometimes be diverted to become self-sufficient and slowly move away from God. Maybe Job is right. No wonder Job could never be pointed out wrong. No wonder Satan never has had a challenge that he could never point a finger at Job. Because Job had his issue. If you read Job, it's exciting because Job complains. Job struggles with God. Job fights with God. Job has, you know, Job even blames God sometimes, you know, but he puts it in a good context in the sense that God is righteous. You know, God just doesn't do things you know, just nilly, willy-nilly. But Job is not classed in the wicked because he washes his robes in the blood of the Lamb. Maybe my point is this this morning. That the classification of wickedness is up to God. May we never place anyone in that classification because we will make a big error. And perhaps through that, end up in that camp ourselves. May we never despise God, as Job says, 
May we never not acknowledge His providence and existence in our lives. May our walk with God always be close to Him. Not depending on, sorry, may our walk with God always be close to Him, depending on Him for our salvation and our future. May we continue to pray for someone else, not because we think that they are wicked and that we are more correct than them, but as Jesus prayed, that he will keep and save them from the evil one. May we continue to wash our robes in the blood of our Lamb, because that is where our help comes from every step of the way.